welcome to More to Come, Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at various locations up and down the uh, eastern seaboard. I'm Calvin Reed, contributing editor at Publishers Weekly. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter, if you want to go on Twitter, at, at <laughs> PW Comics World. I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can also leave us a rating on any of the platforms on which you can find this podcast. So please give us a thumbs up or leave a comment or give us some feedback because we love to hear from our listeners. All right. This week on More to Come, the second comics and graphic standalone comics and graphic novel announcement issues. And we're going to talk with PW Graphic Novels Reviews Editor Meg Lemke about the incredible work she's done. Um, PRH is launching Inklore, a new comics imprint. San Diego Comic-Con is coming. Global Comics raises $6.5 million in investment. And the Kirby family responds to the Stan Lee documentary. All right. Inklore. Woo! Yeah. I mean, I'm not that crazy about the name, but uh, I think it's very telling to see PRH jumping into – well, yeah. I mean, it's not jumping into publishing, but it's jumping into a devoted, you know, comics. Yeah. Game. And let me tell you, uh, yeah, Inklore, they're calling it on a new global pop comics imprint, pop comics, pop hyphen mm-hmm. comics, Inklore. Uh, but, uh, I will publish manga, manhwa, webcomic adaptations, and light novels beginning in spring 2024. Uh, and, uh, again, uh, the best in manga, manhwa, manhwa, so. Euro I, comics. <laughs> I, 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 I'm fascinated by the press release, so I'm just gonna read a couple more lines from it. Inkor will be a pop comics imprint celebrating the most popular fan-driven tropes in visual storytelling with a focus on digital to print, licensed publishing, and the romance, fantasy, science fiction, horror, and slice of life genres. Uh, and I'm just fascinated by this, uh, as I'm sure we all are, because it's really interesting that they have, it's, you know, not just manga, it's manhwa, it's, you know, K-comics, K- sure. it's webcomics. Obviously, you know, Laura Olympus from Webtoon has been a huge success at Random House. Yes. And, um, you know, Volume 5 just came out, and it was like number five on the overall bestseller list. Um, and then they've thrown in light, light novels. So they really mm. have taken all of these youth-focused genres and kind of put them under one umbrella. And I can't think of any other imprint that's really kind of had this this specific lineup or specific focus. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, getting a, I'm getting kind of a vibe. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But the fact they're saying fan-focused and stuff, is making me think that they may be riding the same wave as Seven Seas. Um, because Seven Seas expanded out from manga into light novels, and then from light novels into ve- translations of very popular Chinese web novels. Mm-hmm. And from that 
back into mm-hmm. Manhua of those web novels. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I would bet money, not a lot of money, but some money, that <laughs> Ink Lore's going to be carrying translations of some of the biggest properties, quite possibly even Dan Mai, out of China. Mm. I would bet money. Well, I, I, you are absolutely um, onto something there, Kate. I want to read the people involved with it, okay? Uh, Keith mm. Clayton, uh, the VP and Deputy Publisher of Random House Worlds, uh, which I guess is uh, one of their international. It's also kind of a joint venture with Del Rey UK. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, you know, they're going to be doing books also for the international. Uh, the lead editor is Rebecca Taylor, Tay Taylor. Uh, she's um, editorial director. She's been at DC, at Vault. You know, she launched the kids line at Vault, um, also at Boom. She started at Boom. Uh, so, she, you know, she's industry veteran. Um, in the UK, the program will be spearheaded by Ben Brucey, publishing director, and Kate McHale, a senior commissioning editor. Um, just to give the idea, so Kate, based on what you were saying, uh, the first thing they're doing is My Love Story with Yamutakan at level 999. And I, what, that's a gaming romance manga uh we know all about those and um hold on i oh it's published in, i want to read that there's a lot of publishing deals on this so so that mm-hmm. was uh uh published in japan by comic smart okay oh yeah they're uh, doing they're doing cherry blossoms after winter yes yeah, yeah so that is with taffy yeah, too really going in that direction yes Cappy Tunes after winter is a b a boys love man menwa uh, published from Korea. Again, that was with Tappy Toon. Northern Lights, a YA mm. fantasy graphic novel by Malin Falch, originally published in Norwegian by Egmont, best known for <laughs> Disney. Uh, uh-huh. Let's see. The Heavens. Now, this is mm-hmm. Heavens, an adult fantasy space graphic novel series written by Lev Grossman, the magicians, and uh, Leela Sturgis, uh, pitched as Succession Meets the Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so this sounds like just a, you know, somebody pitched them this book and they're putting it in Inklor. It's original. Mm-hmm. It is not Manwa, Manwa, Brebtoon. And then Under the Oak Tree, a fantasy romance novel by, yep, published in Korean by the Riddy Corporation. So, yep. can, can you, you know, yeah, what does this tell you? This tells me that they finally, um, realized, uh, the current generation of fan bait. Um, because, you know, a lot of fandom activity these days has swung back to comics, just web first comics and web first novels that may be adapted for comics or vice versa. Um, this is really where a lot of fandom activity is going on right now, and it's been undercapitalized. There's like Seven Seas is tapping into that market, and occasionally Kudansha might dabble its toes. Um, this was coming. This was coming. Someone yeah. was going to do this. Yeah. yeah it, I, to me, this looks like it's a consolidation of all. Of a lot of yes. comics publishing has spread all around Penguin Random House. Let's remember now, particularly since this is, this is a joint venture with Del Rey, you know, uh, Del Rey Manga was a pioneering yes. Random House um, manga publisher back in the day. I mean, it's one of the first American trade book publishers to really invest heavily in, pu- in publishing 
a, a publishing manga. And one of the reasons they were able to do is because Random House has a long-running uh, kind of uh, uh, joint publishing agreement with Kodansha that was never intended to be used for manga, but turned out to be a great way to get Random House into the business. What happened when they closed down the Del Rey manga imprint is because Kodansha set up an office here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of its distribution is through. So essentially, Penguin Random House continues publishing manga. Sorry, just say your last sentence. There was a motorcyclist. Okay. So essentially, uh, Penguin Random House continuing, continued publishing manga after the Delray imprint was closed, Delray manga imprint was closed in partnership with Kadansha, because that's, that's essentially what's happening now. So this is very interesting. And of course, you know, Penguin Random House Children's Publishing publishes all manager, manner of graphic novels. Um, Pantheon, of course, is a random house imprint. So this, it's, it, it, this is just another effort. It, it really, and I'm connecting it exactly with what Kate was saying mm-hmm. to make sure that Random House is facing what I think we all agree is one of the most active and popular and fastest growing part of the comics market. Now. Absolutely. And, and, but I, I think what's just, it really, it, like I said, it's very interesting to me that, you know, like it's, like I said, you know, they're doing Lev Grossman and Leela Sturgis. So it's not just Manoir, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, yeah, it's not. So, it's not. So it's, it's, you know, trying to take a certain kind of material and put it under yes. a, an umbrella, put it under the tent. You know, uh, Deb Aoki and I had a long conversation on Twitter yesterday because i was like what should they call this you know is what is the name of this because i do feel that that webtoons and manga and k comics and all this light novels you know it's 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 all allied uh, it is it is allied but is there a name for this that's you know is it manga is it and so you know everybody agreed on on twitter not to agree um you know they're calling it pop comics and I yeah. called it. I came up with my own name. Now you know yeah. I've come up with some good terms yeah. in the, yeah. that, that have been taken to heart in the comics industry. So, so here's my. I don't think I'm still relevant enough, but I'll say this. This is what I call it: light comics. No. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I would. <laughs> I mean, I call it manga related or you know Asian pop related. But I. Yeah. But I think we're going to have to come up with a term for it. But I, but to me, it really just um, reflects the incredible influence of Asian pop, popular yeah. culture on yeah. our publishing uh, platforms. Yeah, um, I mean, I've always seen them referred to, frankly, as web novels or C novels, J novels, mm-hmm. K novels. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, just. Webtoons. They're just webtoons. It's like well, Kleenex or Xerox. It is, but I know what it is. It's very it, confusing with there being a company is. also and, and then a category at the same and time. And I originally Kleenex just to, Xerox. Just so you know, I originally used webtoon in my story on the beat and I got a note from Random House saying, please don't use like I had it in the headline. I said, please mm. don't do this. This isn't a team up with webtoon. And right. You know, we know it's a too, it's a generic term, but it's too confusing. I was like, you know what? At this point, it is too confusing. It and, is very you know, confusing. It is I very agree. confusing, and it's, it would be as if somebody had a co- publishing company called, 
you know, comics. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you, so, have, you write a story yeah. where, you know, you've got to look for, is it capitalized or is it uncapitalized? I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, it's. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if you want to know what people are calling them, mm-hmm. that's what people are calling them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it may be yeah. inconvenient for publishers and I understand why they would want you to take <laughs> yes. that out of the headline. But the fact of the matter is it has a name. The name is Webtoon, whether publishers like it or not. Yeah. Or, or so, editors and yeah. journalists. <laughs> right. And I mean, I, I, yes. So anyway, there will definitely be more to come on this for sure. But, um, you know, it just it, it, real, uh, real to me, just a sign of the seismic shift. And like Kate was saying, it's like just what is popular now among in fan culture. Fan yeah. And, and, and Lila Sturgis and Lev Grossman fit right in with that too, because both of them have huge fandoms for their previous work. Yeah. Like every single thing here says, we know what you like readers. Here is the kind of thing we're going to give you. It's going to be a uh, heavily character focused and it's going to be full of genre. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, gonna be popular yeah. fan driven tropes. And let's right. remember, and uh, oh, yes, okay, we're talking about the editorial side, but PRH has ramped up its, its business side too. They, mm-hmm. they have data. They know what they're doing, uh, on the distribution side as well as, um, which I, which I think, generates expertise on the editorial side also. Yeah. I mean, back in the day when we first started this, a lot of these publishers, large imprints, they really did not know the marketplace, but that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. This shows a hand of someone who really knows the marketplace. Yeah. Like, that a lot of market research. Perfectly targeted. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that I'm probably going to be dropping at least a hundred bucks on stuff they come out with in the next two years. I mean, <laughs> there you it's, go. it's just yeah. a fact. It's hit go. the cake, the demographic, and where right. that goes, goes. Go. When they go. listen to this podcast, they'll, they'll, they'll get some market research. Yeah, they right will. There. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, big news. That's the big news this week. But the other big news is San Diego Comic-Con is coming, and uh, we had more bombshells, more news, more stuff uh, this week. And uh, the big news is that uh, comics are taking back Comic-Con. Uh, the... There will be no Marvel MCU panel. Uh, there will not be HBO. There will not be, um, a ton of studios are sitting it out. Netflix is not going. Warner Brothers is not going. AMC mm-hmm. is not going. Uh, yeah, these are panels. Like, I mean, it says mm-hmm. Lucasfilm is going, but they have a huge booth. So I'm sure they're going right. to have their booth. They're not giving that up. Only DC was dumb enough to give up their booth. But, um, but the, yeah, so the where will they be? Where well, will they be on the floor? The big news. Oh, DC is coming back. Yeah, they yeah, sat me. out, yeah. you know, in 2019, they gave up their huge centrally located booth in the middle of the floor, which everyone internally told uh, the corporate not to do, but they did it anyway because they wanted to brand it. So then they had that booth that was the Warner Brothers experience that's kind of over more in the, yeah. I call it Studio City, but it's more towards the 4,000 side. So it's out of that central area. And it was awful. It was a terrible booth. Everybody found it very off-putting. Of course, then came a pandemic. And then last year when the con came back, there was no DC Comics. There was no Warner Brothers. But this year, that booth is back. And DC is getting its own completely dedicated space in that booth. Um, so DC is back. They have, you know, some of the uh, same people running it who used to run it, although they don't work for DC anymore. So, uh, but this is the big, big, big change for DC 
They mm-hmm. will be selling merchandise at, mm-hmm. uh, at the booth. They are partnering with McFarland Toys and, um, a card company whose name I can't remember, uh, card, cardaholics or something. It's not, it's not the name of it. <laughs> um, but they are, uh, they will be selling stuff at the booth. So I'm sure that, um, that was part of the books and merch. Books and merch. Hey, um, don't leave money on the table. Yeah. yeah. A DC shop will be offering fans limited inventory of three new Blue Beetle t-shirts of Dawn of DC enamel pin. A new artwork from Bill Sinkavich, Jill Thompson, Eric Can, and Phantom City Creative. Limited quantities of DC caps from 940. A Gotham City Classes Batmobile collector pin set. Anyway, uh, talk about uh, popular fan-driven tropes. Uh, they're also going after their DC fandom. Well, uh, as they uh, should. And as they should, and Carta Monday. So that is awesome. It's awesome that DC is coming back. Uh, Dark Horse is mm-hmm. also coming back. Um, and you know, I think with the studios not being there, you know, uh, fine. Comics yeah. mm-hmm. survive. Yeah. Comics rule. Uh, and and of course, say. there's going to be a full, uh, there's going to be programming as well around DC. Oh, yes, yes. They are having a whole slew of, of panels. Um, yeah. Oh, here's the first one. Building the DC universe on Webtoon. Webtoon. <laughs> oh, we'll have to go. Have to well, there you go. That. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing this as a good sign for New York Comic Con because quite frankly, even though we don't have that much of a, um, movie presence at New York Comic Con, the publisher booths, including the DC one, started to be fading over the last few years. So, you know, maybe getting back to basics is the way to go. And, you know, like, it sounds like the merch is actually going to interest fans. Fans love a good merch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they have do have some great people at the booth, you know. Uh, Tom King, Tom Taylor, John, uh, Ram V, Nicholas Scott, Joanne Starr, uh, Josh Williamson, Jim Lee, of course, gets a, a panel. So, um, and you know, listen. DC books for young readers. Yes. So listen, it's great that DC is coming back. Uh, it was really needed that they would be there. So, um, you know, this is, this is very good news. And I, I can, you know, just tell I have some friends. Or DC adjacent, and and uh, just sounds like their morale is up a great deal just from having this. Um, you know, a couple of other notes about the con that have come out. Um, there won't be carpeting, so you know they're still trying to save money. I mean, not having the studios is kind of. Um, I don't know if they lose money. I don't know if yeah, that, you know, that's what money. I was going to ask you, Heidi. I mean, are um, they- well, they do, they do lose money because the studios would do like these huge advertising, you know, marketing yeah. buys. And that's one of the ways that the con makes a lot of money is, you know, when you see that big banner for, um, you know, Game of Thrones, um, or, you know, House of Dragons, it, they, they get a cut of that, you know, they get all the, the mm-hmm. money for it. So I will say I've, there's a lot of, um, you know, already the trolley wraps are in. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the spectacular Comic Con things that we've come to expect are gonna be there. Uh so you know, we'll see. I mean everybody in my crowd is excited that um they you know, comics are taking back Comic Con. You know, yeah. it's like, oh no studio stuff? I mean, all right, well we'll just and, and you know, by the way, the reason for this I should have made clear at the top is that 
because of the strike, you know, because the Writers Guild strike, uh, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, ongoing Mm -hmm. and a potential uh, Screen Actors Guild strike. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. if that happens, then, you know, no no stars will be there to promote their projects. And that would be a disaster. So we won't know until uh, actually when this podcast comes out on, uh, you know, the deadline is is tomorrow as we record this. So we'll know if SAG struck or not. So Mm -hmm. uh, we'll know whether the chicken was... um, and um, I, apparently there's some bars that are going to be renovated and have been renovated. <laughs> the bar news is always important. Well, uh, the Hyatt, yeah, the Hyatt has revamped the other bar, which is called uh, Redfields, as a video game bar. So I don't know about that. But, um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and also the oh, taco well. place or, the you know, that fish taco place is now much oh, more ten, expensive. Yes. Ten, what is it? Ten house, ten fish? The ten fish, yeah. yeah. So, so you can go there and get a cheap cheap taco and right in the middle of everything. But now it's, you know, like the same inflated prices we're seeing everywhere here in New York city. So, you know, I paid $22 for a Caesar salad the other day. I'm like, what the hell? There you go. Own and grow. Well, speaking of money. Yeah. uh, Global comics. Raising Uh, funds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, finding investors. Yeah, they got some investors. This is a story. Um, yeah, you know, it came up on a site that just looks at investing and, um, but yeah, you know, this is one of the, uh, would be comicsology, uh, you know, digital comics platform. So uh, they, they just announced, uh, $6.5 million in funding. And, you know, I think that's, I think it's worth noting because it's a really hard time. For startups right now, really hard. Uh, there was just a story on the the um, the platformer about it's it's you know there's like a reckoning coming. There's all these reckonings coming every time we talk here. There's some kind of reckoning. Anyway, yeah. So, so terrible, terrible time for startups. So to have gotten any money is a nice nod to global. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and uh, let's see. Um, uh, the Kirby family obviously has been in the news lately. Um, um, and, you know, um, in, I guess driven to it, um, uh, to speak out over the Stanley documentary. And of course, uh, I mean, well, the conflict between how we view the history of Marvel comics and its impact and, and the, you know, the, the canonical leaders. Stanley, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko. Well, let's, let's do a uh, little the rewind. around that continues. Let's do a little rewind here for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, backing it up on Disney Plus, there is now a Stan Lee documentary, and it, it is just that. It's a Stan Lee, not an early Marvel documentary. And you know, that that does sort of follow a pattern that has happened in the past. Um, and since there's no accompanying documentaries planned about other Marvel greats, people, including the Kirby family, are feeling that some of the other Marvel greats are being slighted. Yeah, and I mean, look, this, but, you know, it, it's... It's just old, old territory that goes back to the 60s. It goes back to the original days. 
And um, basically this documentary, you know, uses Stan's own words. I guess he recorded yeah. some kind of voiceover for it before he passed away, which is all the way back in like, was it 2018? You know, 2017. It's been a while. Stan's been gone for a while. I, I think they've harvested, though, his interviews over yes. uh, decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, but basically – Stan is a great marketer and his number one product is Stan. And so he, he just really does talk about being the author of the Marvel universe and Jack Kirby's family took exception to this as well. They should. Um, and so the family released a statement and then there's was a predictable back and forth on, uh, you know, everybody taking sides and all this. And, you know, I, I always say, look, I don't think it's fair to Stan to take credit for everything because if you, it's like the Beatles, you know, yeah. Paul McCartney went on to have an incredible solo career, but the Beatles were number one. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just an eternal argument. Yeah, and yeah. if I could jump in also, I mean, you know, Roy Thomas, who uh, who was hired by Stan Lee, went on to become the uh, editor-in-chief of Marvel. He also chimes in, and mostly just to say that, you know, which, which is what I think is really the standard belief now. Uh, there are obviously extremists on both sides, but... That, you know, uh, Stanley was a co-creator. I mean, I think yes. everyone kind of accepts that now. Uh, and the three names I mentioned, um, they all, they all, we need to all pay attention to them because they, you know, they created this incredible world of, that Marvel, that, of Marvel yeah. universe that we live in now. Yeah. Well, but I think, I think maybe some of the frustration comes for the fact that this is not just for the old comic book faithful. This is introducing comics history to a new generation of Marvel fans. It's aimed at the general market. It's put on Disney Plus. And I think maybe some people thought that, you know, Disney and Marvel had moved past the Stan figurehead stage. And, you know, a new generation would come in shown a more balanced version of the history and i think that's why i hit a sore spot because it's like oh this is continuing to happen i thought i thought we were at a different stage where we could acknowledge everyone's contributions a little more evenly yeah you know i want to point out another thing i mean just you know stan was it was you know embraced by marvel i mean he lived much longer he lived like 25 years longer than, than jack did um, you know, here's a story I didn't cover. I broke earlier in the month, but uh, Disney settled some court battles uh, with uh, Larry Lieber and the estates mm-hmm. of Don Heck, Gene Cole, and Don Rico uh, because they're, you know, Disney was basically suing them because these artists were trying to get their rights back and you know, mm-hmm. to recapture their copyrights and everything. So it sounds like a, a equitable um uh, settlement was reached in these uh, suits, which I haven't had time to, to dig into. Yeah. But you know, the Hollywood Reporter has some excellent. Now they did not settle with the Ditko family. The Ditko family is not ready to give yeah. up the ghost on this or give up the battle. Um, yeah. But you know, they they did reach an equitable settlement with the Kirby family. Um, yes. You know, back in the teens, and you know, Jack Kirby was uh, inducted to the Disney Legends. So you know, they they it's. I think the king of comics. The king of comics. But, you know, <laughs> there's just a lot of of questions still about the ownership of these characters because Marvel lost yeah. all the paperwork. So there's still legal battles. So, you know, it behooves Disney to promote Stan, who was very 
docile and accepting of the party line as long as he was getting paid. Yes. <laughs> well, that's not all that happened in the news this week. Also, Publishers Weekly had its second standalone graphic novels announcement issue. Yeah, and it really builds upon the first one that was uh, the um, – I guess it was the spring mm-hmm. uh, comic graphic novel uh, announcement issue. And this is kind of – this is really sets a new standard because it's it's all comics, people. It does. But, um, you know, the issue was edited or the package was edited by frequent stargazing co-host Meg Lemke. Yes, and yes. Uh, so Calvin and I, uh, let's uh, let's have a word with Meg. Okay. Hey, Meg. How you doing? Hi. Hey, Meg. Meg, are you all caught up? Are you all rested? (laughs) I mean, I'm just uh, immediately jumping into everything I had to put aside to finish up this project. I know. Um, Well, it's an impressive project, and uh, this is our second standalone graphic comics and graphic novel um, uh, announcement issue. Is that correct? That is correct. So we announced the season we're in currently, which is we did an announcement for spring 2023, and this is looking ahead to fall and winter 2023, um, but PW just calls it fall. Um, so <laughs> this is announcing books coming out August through January. Right. So, uh, Meg, what did you learn from the first time that you put into effect here, or you know, what changed, any improvements or changes for this edition? I mean, really, it was just following what worked so well for the first uh, launch. Um, you know, so it's really soup to nuts. Like we're doing all ages and stages and uh, across genres. So we have an adult list with a top 10, a YA list, the top 10, a middle grade list, the top 10, and a big kind of early reader spotlight section. Uh, one change is we have a full top 10 for manga. This, mm-hmm. this, oh, that's uh, right. I think you had five in the last one. Yeah. I mean, you need to get enough submissions together mm-hmm. to justify picking 10 of them. Sure, right? of course. Mm-hmm. And so we really, I really want a huge shout out and thank you to Shannon Garrity, who is one of our regular Publishers Weekly reviewers and a manga specialist and expert. And she handled that list. So we took the submissions we got, but Shannon really went out knocking to get more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sort of a full long list that got justified a top ten, and then she picked the top ten. Well, that, that's a re- that's a really exciting aspect of what you're doing now, or what you've been able to do. I mean, obviously Heidi can comment on this too. <laughs> getting submissions, getting them, uh, but boy, it really looks as though. Uh, I mean, obviously you've upgraded manga, but it really looks like that's not a problem at this point. No, we got a f- almost 40 long list plus the top 10, so we have mm-hmm. a good stretch. Um, and, of course, I should clarify, just to give everyone a sense of what this is, what we're talking about. The announcements are a selected highlights list, so we get lots of submissions, you know, hundreds and hundreds of submissions from publishers, um, most of them who send them in on time and on schedule, and then some who will go chasing and say, hey, we didn't hear from, you know, notable publisher who should really be in the announcements. And then we pick from those categories – our top 10 anticipated titles. And I should say, and I think this is important, like this is advanced buzz, right? Like we haven't mm-hmm. in all cases read these galleys yet. They're not they're not necessarily final books yet. Like we're looking at what we can find out about the titles. I do try and read uh, early material whenever possible. And in some cases we have reviews in and we can find a start mm-hmm. review and say like we know this is going to be a big book. Um, so publishers are projecting ahead, which is part of the reason it's harder for certain categories like manga to tell us you right. know, this early. Like this is this is the to get into the 
you know, nuts and bolts of what PW does as a trade magazine is we're doing a lot of advance notice for our audience, which includes buyers in general bookstores, librarians, schools, school districts, and those are readers um, and buyers who need to know six months ahead because mm. of budgetary issues. And that's not how direct market works, right? So there's a lot of uh, shifting that's required. These, these publishers have to be more acrobatic to both meet the long lead deadlines for trade houses, for trade magazines like PW and like their direct market um, embargo. So they're trying to hold the info for, for longer. Um, so the other thing I wanted to say is that we do these little sidebars, which is really fun for me because usually I, I can only do, you know, a certain number of long list titles, but we can get a lot more titles in with these theme sidebars. And this and this year for adult, we're doing horror, which is a huge category, sure. super hot category. Yeah. Um, and I think I got 12 titles or so in there and a history. So instead of doing graphic bio, which is a real perennial, um, if anything, you know, oversaturated category. These are more about historical periods and like work set both in nonfiction and fiction and historical periods. And so they're larger than one singular graphic bio. And it's a yeah. great list too, if I might add, because I, I've always felt that nonfiction uh, and comics are just <laughs> they're, they're yeah. two categories meant to be. I mean, I agree. I think when I first looked at the issue, I thought these sidebars were really fantastic mm -hmm. and just as a way to even further, um, you know, break things out and break out these genres. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just an incredible listing. I, I mean, I'm amazed by the books in here. There's so many I haven't heard of. And then there's some really big ones that are coming also. I mean, Roaming by, by, um, Jillian and Mariko Tamaki, yes. obviously, and then the new Dan Klaus book coming out. Um, yeah. uh, Monica, everybody's really looking you forward know. to that. And then, then the mysteries. Now I take it by Bill Watterson. Uh, now Meg, I take it you haven't read that one yet. I have not. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. And I, I, I might add, I'm really curious about Artificial um, by uh, Amy Kurzweil, uh, mm -hmm. the daughter yep. of the famous. Um, a technologist, theoretician, futurist, futurist, Ray Ray Kurzweil, um, who we have his book. You know, my husband was is in tech, and as I always shout out to him too. He's <laughs> shout out to your husband. Yeah, no, just, <laughs> just it's a team effort. No, so I've I've heard about Ray Kurzweil for years since he was in graduate school. Right? It's like um, I did not know Amy was his daughter. I I read Amy's uh, first book from mm -hmm. Black Balloon, which is no longer um, existent, but they. Catapult is publishing her uh, mm -hmm. new book as well, and I think she's the only cartoonist Catapult proper has published. You know, they they picked up Soft Skull for a while, so they had some in their catalog. But in terms of books that they've originated, mm -hmm. um, Amy is like their graphic novelist. Um, I should say we're all calling out titles from the top ten fall 2023 adult comics and graphic novels list. Yeah, I was going to just read the whole list here. It's yeah. uh, Artificial, A Love Story by Amy Kurzweil, A Guest mm -hmm. of the House by Emily Carroll. I'm super yes. excited about mm -hmm. that. One of my favorites. That's coming from First Second. I Must Be Dreaming by Roz Chast. Monica by David uh, Dan Klaus. The Mysteries by Bill Watterson and John Cash. Red Harvest, a graphic novel, The Terror Famine in the Soviet Ukraine by Michael Cherkis. That's interesting. Um, Roaming by the, the Tamankis. Silence, Full Stop, a memoir by Karina Shore. The Country, Searching for Home in Very Rural America by Naviad Mandavian, published by Princeton Architectural Press. Boy, everybody's getting into graphic mm -hmm. novels now. 
And then Worm, A Cuban-American Odyssey uh, by Adel Rodriguez. So, yeah, absolutely yeah. some And that's Metropolitan, that last one. There's a yeah. bunch of PA Press titles, actually, yeah. that are coming and out. And, you know, interesting. we should quickly point out that many of the, the titles that Heidi just read were also – the artists were at uh, the, the standalone graphic novel day at the U.S. Book Show very recently. Yes, we had some coordination with that. So we have um, – you know – Anyone paying very close attention and wanting to unpick this uh, with me, our top 10 for the announcements doesn't perfectly match the editor's picks panel from the U.S. book show. So I was able to kind of – I based that on submissions at the time, and then we had a larger pool. But there's obviously some significant overlap because I'm going to be picking big books I heard about for the U.S. book show also for this list. Some of the others are on the long list or on the theme list. Um, doesn't mean they aren't also great. It's just we had some others we needed to get on here. But in person, we had Jillian. We had Adel. Um, mm. And then we had some summer books that you know appeared on the last announcement sure. at the U.S. Mm. book show, too. Um, I was going to say about that Amy Kurzweil book, we are going to have Q&A with her appearing uh, in August, too, so folks can look right. out. Go ahead, Heidi. Go ahead, Heidi. Oh, I was just going to say, now, um, did you notice anything? Um, I mean, you say you get hundreds of submissions and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I I used to do this when it was just an article. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yes, like, this that is really amazing. A standalone issue, I would <laughs> melt down and cry in the corner if I had to do this and let alone Calvin's one time doing it. Um, oh, I, well, which was of course, we, yeah, let's not even talk about that. Let's not that speak of it. Happened. That yeah. never happened. Um, I was wondering though if if you noticed any trends in in genres or in books or in um, you know, just looking at all the books. I mean, I do, you know, you mentioned Princeton Architectural mm-hmm. doing graphic novels. So, you know, that is news to me, but um, you know, there's just so many new not even new, but you know, so many imprints, so many publishers that are getting into graphic novels, and they're obviously trying, you know, a lot of different styles and genres. So I wondered just if you see, saw any trends in the books that that are. Well, that is what I was things. looking to do with the themed uh, sidebars too, and those are going to change uh, every uh, comic announcements issue. Last um, round we did adaptations and graphic bio and this time the history the, the idea of like digging into history and not just graphic bio i definitely think is a trend and i think it was um it's it's like calvin is saying like there's more and more interest in nonfiction comics uh, i also think like the horror like smart savvy psychological horror is and body mm-hmm. horror is just a huge growing yeah. area mm-hmm. and i'm seeing these publishers who you wouldn't necessarily expect take that on i mean for a second actually as an example like that's a psychological horror with emily carroll mm-hmm. um you know and really as you're saying just so many new imprints and publishers mm-hmm. doing more titles plus just different imprints at publishers we've already known and loved like Shirley Megascope at Abrams um there's a couple of new image imprints or lines you know we're listing as imprints like Tiny Onion Studios which is um James Tynion's uh, own imprint which is interesting and he has his first book launching in it awesome. uh, you know Skybound is now at uh Image and they're they have their own list. So we really see those imprints. We try and take them on their own terms and they get their own listing in the announcements. I've, you know, I've been impressed with Graphic Monday, um, which yes. has really oh, seems to be releasing a lot of really fascinating titles. 
also clearly like webtoon unscrolled is, is doing a yes. lot. Mm. They show up both in our main listing and on um, the manga lists. Should we talk about some of the other lists top ten? I mean, I obviously yeah am yeah sitting sure. In the world of adult books, but I can you know, I point out one thing just that mm-hmm. caught my eye uh, that Chris Oliveros, founder of Drawn and Quarterly, who stepped down to return to creating comics, has a new book. Are you yeah, willing to die done, for the cause in the nonfiction mm-hmm. category? Uh, a history of the Quebec Liberation Front. Really fascinating. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's spend some, that's, that's what I'm described, uh, mentioning as the history category, mm-hmm. right? So we have mm-hmm. such a great variation. Also on that sidebar list is, um, The Naked Tree by Kim Sook oh, Kendrick yes. Kim. Yes, yes. Which is her third book, I believe, yes. from Dawn and Quarterly, and it's mm-hmm. set during the Korean War. Um, she's got an interview, actually, a rare interview from an international author for us, since it always involves a little more time with translation coming up in our next issue, so you can find Great. that next Monday. Um, and also, We Are Not Strangers by Josh Cheninga, which is from Abrams, and that was actually one that we had the U.S. Book Show as an editor's pick as well. So uh, his editor, Charlotte Greenbaum, spoke about it on our panel. Um, that's set in Seattle, where I'm from, so I'm particularly interested in it. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> during World War II and the period of Japanese um, incarceration camps, you know, U.S. incarcerating Japanese Americans during World War II. And it's about um, folks from the Jewish immigrant community in Seattle and Japanese immigrant community in Seattle and the ways these two immigrant communities tried to support each other during this atrocity. Well, it is it is amazing. I mean, we mentioned this many times in the podcast, but, you know, with comics, um, it's really possible to talk about very, very specialized hist- historical events that you could never make a movie out of because, you know, they're just too, they're just too niche, to be honest. And, um, you know, comics have that ability to dramatize them and bring to, bring them to life. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that the, the, the history ca- category is expanding, but it's, you know, it's a really great call to spotlight it. So, um, yeah, you know, let's look quickly at some of the other lists. Um, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just, I have it open. I have the issue mm-hmm. in front of me, physical. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Best young adult. Comics and Graphic Novels, Be That Way by Hope Larson, great return for her. Brooms by Jasmine Walls and Ted Tio Duval. Uh, Confetti Roams by Nadia Shamas and Carnessa. Courage to Dream, Tales of Hope and the Holocaust by Neil Schusterman and Andres Vera Martinez, incredible artist. Uh, Hockey Girl Loves Drama Boy by Faith Aaron Hicks. That is a yes, immediate yes. Yeah, got to check that out. I'm excited yeah. about that one. Yeah, If You'll Have Me by Uni. Lunar New Year Love Story by Jean Luen Yang hmm. and Lei Wen Pham. So Looks interesting. They have have teamed up. That's from first second, of course. Um, I think Mall Goth by Kate Leth. Night and Night and Dana by Anya Davidson. Uh, I'm actually curious about that one because uh, Anya is actually known as a more of an indie cartoonist mm-hmm. so going to graphic is interesting uh, Yaki Delgado wants to kick your ass the graphic novel by Meg Medina and May Valentine Vargas so that's the top 10 for YA um, which also has just huge YA names doing comics I mean oh, Meg yeah. Medina Yes. yes. Young Adult Ambassador of Children's Literature, which actually also Jing, Jin Yang was at one point, um, though he's been known in comics, but this is Meg Medina's first comic. Uh, yeah, I love this about the top ten list. We have 
newcomers along with huge, huge names. Mm. And, you know, we get to pick. Mm-hmm. It's not just books we think will be an obvious big seller, but things we want people to pay attention to. Absolutely. And uh, let's see. Here's middle grade comics and graphic novels. Um, let's see. Uh, Alterations by Ray Shu. Duel by Jessica and Aaron Bagley, Mabuhe by Zach Sterling, A Mexican by Pedro Martin, My Extremely Normal Fairy Tale Life, Nell of Grumbling, number one, by Emma Steinkeller, New in Town, Curl Friends, number one, by Sherry Miller, A Sky of Paper Stars by Susie Yai, or Yi, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> A Sky of Paper Stars by Susie Yi, Strikers, Kyle Fegley and Jacques Curry, uh, good buddy Kyle Fugley. Yeah, right. Back <laughs> yeah. in the day. So nice. Uh, Super Boba Cafe by Nidhi Chanani and Things in the Basement by Ben Hatke. Yeah, big name. Yeah. Yes. And that's yeah. Ben's first early reader. So I want to mention about the middle grade list. We also have a long section that's early reader spotlight. Yeah. Which is a huge category that we just, it's not another top 10, so to speak. There's a lot of like, protocols about what is what but you know it's it is definitely a highlights list because i had to cut down um and then ben's on the top 10 is itself an early reader so this top 10 includes early reader um mm-hmm. highlights it's a big deal to me that he's re- he's doing something for that category which is just a big yeah. growing category of littler children having comics read aloud to them as well as learning to read them you know this middle grade list is a particular delight because I, you know, I have a 12 year old who's an avid reader and she just brings home books constantly that I've picked for the last season. I just haven't gotten around to bringing her yet. Like she finds them in the library on her own. It's so fascinating to see it play out in real time. Like which of the big books just sort of proves out in her backpack every time she comes back from school. Uh, it's just really quickly running down the top 10 in manga here. Uh, Betwixt Horror Manga Anthology by Junji Ito. Who else? Uh, the Darwin Incident by Shun Yumazawa. Uh, Glitch by Shima Shinya, Gold Kingdom and Water Kingdom by Nao Iwamoto, Haruki Murakama Manga Stories by Haruki Murakama, uh, and various, uh, Innocent by Shinichi Sakamoto, A Kid's Guide to Anime and Manga, Exploring the History of Japanese Animation and Comics by Sam Satin, Patrick Macias, and Utumaru. I'm looking forward to that one. I need to Yeah, for one. sure. I need all the help I can <laughs> yeah. get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nedjushki. By Yoshiharu Suga, um, Okinawa by Susumu Higa, and Tengen Hero Wars by Yasuhiromoto and Kobara Sakanoichi. Alright. So. There you uh, have it. I will say it's a, it's a list that skews quite a bit to, I guess what you could say is literary manga on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that, that's interesting. Good point, Heidi. <laughs> I guess she just noticed, huh? <laughs> I mean, do we think of Junji Ito as literary manga? I suppose so. 100%. I mean, yeah, yeah, I would have to say it? so. I would have so. It's animated, well, it's horror. Yeah. You know? Yeah, horror's literature. Meg, yeah. are you some kind of genre snob here? Yeah. I'm not. Oh, my God. You guys don't. Th- but we, <laughs> the long list covers, I think, a lot of the breadth of more commercial. Yeah. yeah. And what's impressive about Ito, I mean, this for me, this is the second wave of you know because ito was huge during the first wave of manga you know in the early 2000s and now he's come back even stronger i mean it's even more popular i mean you guys have to get shannon on here to talk about the list honestly i think that um she you know i she got to pick it yeah and i Mm -hmm. think she's thinking about i think you know actually heidi 
as I'm circling back to your point, what I actually think is really key to know about this list is part of the reason you're going to see it skew towards literary manga also is that we're looking at first volumes and new series and originals. So if we did a list of what is actually going to be the biggest seller, it's going to be all like Spy vs. Family and all things that are in their 18th 18th volume. And we're not listing those because our readers already know about them for the most part. Of course. But so I think that's, what's kind of interesting about the manga list and to some extent the middle grade list too, where you're not seeing Dogman, you know, the newest coming up on that list, because again, it's something that we're, we're looking for discovery here for what people haven't gotten on their radar before. I mean, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's great to spotlight literary manga because Mm -hmm. let's face it, like the, the Shonen and Shoujo titles get so much attention. (laughs) They're doing just fine. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's great. Um, I think we're nearly running out of time in this segment. I wanted to ask you really quickly Mm -hmm. though, you got to do a, a cover uh, by Jillian Tabaki. Yes. So, and uh, this is the second illustrated cover, and it is mirroring what PW is typically doing for editorial covers, which is a portrait of an author who is featured in some way in the issue. Right. And so for this, it is a drawn portrait of the pair, and Jillian drew herself and her cousin Mariko, mm-hmm. um, and it looks great. It does indeed, yeah. Well, you know, I have. I, I just want to point out, you know, as for myself and for Heidi, who, you know, Started this whole thing, uh, particular the Heidi. Uh, I mean, can you imagine a better outcome for after all these years? Oh my God, it's amazing the, it's to see these books, to stunning. see the categories, and to see how this category needs its own issue. Uh, you know, I I can't tell you how happy and and I, yeah, thrilled and, and I, fulfilled I, mean, I am. I am thrilled to see this standalone issue. Yes. Um, absolutely incredible job, Meg. I am thrilled that I didn't ever have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we mentioned the profile and the Q&A, too. So this is yeah. – also has um, the other kind of usual features you'd see in a PW issue, which is an author profile. We have a big author profile every issue. Um, so this is a comics profile, and Daniel Klaus is yes. profiled mm-hmm. by um, Brian Heater, friend of PW and a frequent contributor over many years. And very quickly, I have to point out, this is nothing to do with literature, but it's, mm-hmm. it's everything to do with business. I count somewhere oh, in the uh, neighborhood yeah. of 20 pages of advertising but of – you took Big the words out of my mouth. Small Calvin. humanoids, IDW, Mad Cave, and Paper Cuts, Grab the Graphic Monday. Uh, you, you name it. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's even an ad for uh, Abstract Studios on the inside front cover. That's like for Strangers in Paradise. I was stunned to see that. So yeah, um, yeah. You so, know. so yeah, great job. And no, we really you know, support. We really appreciate the support. That, yeah. yeah, and I mean, we're, it's not being crass. It's just really showing that um, you know comics publishers are willing to spend to market their books to the li- the audience uh, that Meg mentioned. You know, booksellers, librarians, and schools, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I just think it's a, a success all around. It's just great. So it, yeah. The Q and A, if I can mention that too, is mm. with um, David Simon. I don't know if you all know. Notice that, like David Simon. Oh, right. Wire. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's for the graphic adaptation of Homicide, which was his earlier yes. work uh, from the 90s. And it's now adapted by Philippe Scorzoni, who did, um, uh, who is an award winning, he's a French illustrator. He had an earlier book on climate change that got a lot of attention, which is just an interesting pairing. Uh, and it's just a super funny conversation with David Simon, who is, of course, like hilarious. Yeah. Meg, job well done. Thank you all. And thanks, everybody, for reading it. Please pick it up, share it, spread around those top ten lists. Everyone should be, you know, we really are excited about those books, so we hope that people get to find out about them. All right. Thanks, Meg. Great, great work. Thank you. All right.
always great to talk with Meg. And uh, she, again, she just did such a fabulous job. Um, yes, it's, so, it's really, really terrific yeah. work. Yeah. So I guess that wraps up this week. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, and as always, there will be more to come.